You're listening to A Stranger Cast at thestranger.com. Hey, it's Wednesday, January 22nd, and I'm Eli Sanders, and this is Blabbermouth, the Stranger podcast in which we talk about what's going on this week, the impeachment trial in the Senate of President Donald J. Trump has begun this week, and Rich Smith and Katie Herzog are here to talk about what is and is not happening. After that, Hillary Clinton says nobody likes Bernie Sanders. Um, what about Rich Smith? We'll get into that in the second segment. And we'll look at the New York Times dual endorsement of Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. It is upsetting to Katie Herzog. Finally, Jasmine Koenig is here to talk about the L word Generation Q and Rich really loved a Netflix show called Cheer. He'll tell you why. But first, impeachment. Rich Smith, good morning. Good morning, Eli. Katie Herzog, good morning. Good morning, Eli. I want to suggest the absence of a quorum, given <laughs> Dan Savage is not here, but I think we can continue with our business anyway. Uh, if we're not all too tired from watching through the night as the Senate debated their eye-crossing rules resolution. Yeah. You can just take a nap on the floor. That's what I did. Like Mitch McConnell did that too. <laughs> did he? He did that thing where at some point where you know like you're falling asleep like in class or during a meeting and you feel yourself you feel yourself doing it and you jerk up. <laughs> he did that. My prediction because the New York Times and the Washington Post have both now reported on catching Republicans falling asleep. Yeah. In that way that everything in the Trump era, every negative gets embraced and then redone in your face as a, yeah, I can fucking do this kind of power move. I predict that as the trial goes on, and particularly as the Democrats today are presenting their case over the next few days, you're going to see Republicans like purposefully falling asleep, you know, like sleep flopping for the cameras (laughs) to indicate how unseriously they take the democratic argument and how much of a sham trial as they say this is absolutely faux sleeping i do have some sympathy for the 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 senators here though because they can't eat or snack or drink coffee the only thing that they can eat and drink is literally candy from senator toomey's desk Mm -hmm. milk and water. Where yeah. did these rules come from? I don't like, know. And what fucking century were these designed? I don't good, <laughs> good job to the Dairy Farmers of America lobby. Right. Yeah, it, Milk is the right. only thing that you can drink. In Pennsylvania candy companies. <laughs> <laughs> right, because that's where the candy drawer, yeah, uh, candy in the candy drawer is from. Yeah, and I, it's, it, it is, it's, it's a joke, but it is a problem because part of Mitch McConnell's strategy is to make this so hard, so difficult, so burdensome for the senators that they're going to want to be they'll be you know beaten into submission um so that they can uh get this over with as soon as possible yeah so i had trouble like everyone else paying you know a lot of attention to what was going on yesterday but i made myself as much as i could because the rules wrangling is the most important thing that's what mitch mcconnell understands that's what the democrats seem to understand The setting of the rules is going to control the flow of information through the trial, whether there are witnesses or not. It will decide whether this trial is interesting or just a kind of open and shut case that the Republicans engineer to exonerate the president. And case is used really loosely because, as Adam Schiff said correctly yesterday, if Mitch McConnell's rules stand, this is a trial where the opening arguments are the closing arguments and nothing happens in between. 
yeah. no witnesses, no evidence, n- none of that. Um, so I tried to pay attention, but if I was to try to tell you what the rules are, I'd probably need your help. So I, the first one I know is that there will be no witnesses, right? <laughs> We've decided on that. There's going to the be a, a vote in two weeks, right? Or a, a vote later on in the process to determine whether or not there'll be witnesses. But for now, you just get to see Jay Seculo make a bunch of bad faith arguments and get all screamy at uh, some uh, House Democrats who serve as the sort of uh, prosecuting attorneys for yeah. this uh, impeachment trial. And be faux aggrieved when the Democratic managers call him out on lies, yeah. which he was demonstrably, you know, putting out on the Senate floor. And so Democrat Jerry Nadler of New York, one of the managers, called him a liar. And then he got up there and, you know, in classic Trump and Republican uh, victim claiming fashion said, how dare you call me a liar in this, you know, hallowed space. He's just speaking his truth, Eli. Not the truth, but his truth. That actually is exactly what is going to happen, I think. We're going to see two parallel versions of the truth. The Senate is going to be an enactment of the way Americans live right now inside different uh, self-confirming and politically useful echo chambers. They're going to cling to their versions of reality and nothing is going to penetrate. Right, And media organizations will follow suit. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and Chief Justice Roberts is sort of filling in the role of the media organizations because he admonished both sides uh, equally <laughs> for uh, you know in the in the middle of the night for being um, uh, not their incivil discourse and and reminded them about the austere offices in which they inhabit and they're having this conversation in and so you know more more evidence that this is going to be a both sides bullshit nonsense and uh, the first uh, person i saw yelling about how unfair it was for justice roberts to call out both sides was a republican trying to say that no 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 only the democrats deserved an admonishment yeah this is the worst fucking lock-in ever but <laughs> yeah there should be a pool is there a pool yeah no one gets to hang they're, out they're not in their pjs they gotta yeah. wear their suits all fucking night the snacks are limited i do have to say I don't feel too sorry for them because they, you know, with quorum calls like that thing I was imitating at the beginning and all kinds of other stalling tactics, they get all kinds of breaks. So, yeah, the like water and milk and candy is real for the couple hours, you know, straight that they have to sit there. But then they get a dinner break and a lunch break. And Mitch McConnell knows he is kind of running, you know, with respect to our esteemed senators, something that looks, you know, to someone beamed in from another – universe like maybe a retirement home like these <laughs> there's not a lot of stamina i don't <laughs> think there, there, and the, there's a distinct lack of ipads too which you would probably more likely see in, an, in a retirement home because they're not allowed to have any technology they have to take notes by hand i would this love I to see their notes of, actually yeah, yeah i think like, it's great grumpy you know yeah, i want to see their doodles strength. yeah um they are however i was reading finding a loophole because you know they're highly skilled at this so you can't have an iPhone or an iPad or any kind of technology that you could spot with your eyeballs as the senator is walking past you at the door. But if you have an Apple Watch, ah. you slip through. A ah. number of senators are already Tracy doing Claus. It. If, you, <laughs> if you have a fancy gadget watch, then you can take notes. So some of us watched, you know, as much as we could with our eyeballs on the live streams. Some of us, and I'm not saying who, just watched it on Twitter, like a lot of people do now oh, through yeah, the <laughs> through the clips and uh, whatever. And what 
did we think just impressions wise of how the Democrats are doing? This is, you know, a hostile audience. They have a, a difficult challenge here. Um, but they came in with a game plan and kind of stuck to it. They they used the arguments over the rules as an opportunity to also present their case. How'd they do? I mean, it was really just sort of a recap of the best hits, you know, from the House. And so if you were paying attention to that, you know, addition of the of the impeachment, there wasn't any new information. And so every House manager who got up and spoke just told sort of the same story. The, the faces changed and the voices changed, but it was just the same story over and over and over. And in terms of the viewing experience, that's an incredibly boring one. Right. And in response, if I'm getting it right, in response to the Democrats' argument that Trump broke the law, and here's the overwhelming evidence supporting that, and he abused his office, and he committed impeachable offenses and crimes, the Republicans are saying, well, actually, you can break the law if you're the president, but uh, never mind that, you haven't accused him of a specific crime, just kind of vague obstruction and abuse of power. And you actually have to be accused of something in the criminal code oh. to uh, to warrant a trial in the Senate. This is, this is a bizarre argument that they're making now. Constitutional scholars say it's bullshit but yeah uh but that's their comeback among other things like uh the democrats failed to get evidence and so now they're trying to make the senate do the house's job pick up where the shoddy house process left off which leaves out that trump obstructed the house which is why he's being charged with obstruction by not giving evidence or allowing witnesses to testify yeah, to the extent that they're making the argument on obstruction, I think that that's probably the best play here. And I think I saw Adam Schiff doing that a lot. And they had a bunch of like digital materials showing just how much um, evidence has been withheld uh, by the administration uh, in their attempts to, to cover up <laughs> uh, the, the crime here. And, you know, polling says that Americans want to see a fair trial. I think, you know, over 50% say they want to see a fair trial. I think there's a pro. Pl- pl- plurality in favor of um uh of impeaching and removing trump and so uh if i was uh, one of the house impeachment managers i would just be screaming cover up cover up cover up as much as i can did you see that trump and this again like just classic they they just run the same play over and over again now that the senate has said that they are not gonna call witnesses for now yeah. right you will have a vote on it after the trial is over yeah trump is saying oh i could i would be all right with witnesses mm-hmm. but the rules have already <laughs> been laid down yeah. and he was opposed to witnesses before yeah i mean the only interesting uh development i could see in this is if john bolton somehow testifies nobody knows what he's gonna say i mean he's he's sort of in the middle he's not a trump lackey but he's also i don't know probably you know uh, he's definitely not a fan of the Democrats as well. And I don't know what that to me is the only sort of wild card here. Here is if John Bolton testifies, what in the world would that man say? He, he described the Ukraine deal as a drug deal, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, he'll probably, I, I would guess, he would make some kind of, you know, he would be a Sondland, you know, like. But a firsthand witness, right. where in some cases Sondland was, you know, off in uh, Kiev on his cell phone or whatever, yeah. and or not in some meetings. It sounds like Bolton was in more of the meetings and can 
testify perhaps i don't know we're all just assuming yeah. to some uh really explosive shit and now there's this uh reporting i saw it in the washington post this morning yeah. so the republicans to in another effort to block bolton have been trying to make it so unpalatable to the democrats that they won't even push for it anymore and they're doing it by saying okay if we allow witnesses and you call bolton we're gonna call uh hunter biden yes yeah uh and joe biden and we're gonna make this you know exceedingly uh ugly remember here's here's another just like you know trump strategy on repeat but remember during the clinton trump race when they were getting ready for a debate and everyone was talking about well clinton might bring up you know trump's affairs Mm -hmm. and remind evangelicals of that and trump was like if you do that i'm gonna drag you even so low into the gutter that uh, no one will want to listen by having uh, Clinton's past accusers, Lewinsky, maybe, and some others, yeah. uh, come and not testify, but hold a press conference before the debate, which he did. Yeah, I, don't think Le- I don't think Lewinsky was part of that. It wasn't Lewinsky, you're right. Was it Linda Tripp? Anita uh, Broderick. Broderick. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, just same old playbook, and that's what they're saying. But now uh, Democrats are like, okay. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, make the trade. Why yeah. not? We'll have Biden and Hunter Biden testify and let that, you know, call the Republicans bluff. Let that blow up in their faces. Let Joe Biden talk about, you know, how unfair and disgusting the smear campaign do, against him is. But has do been. we really want Joe Biden in a position of ad living at this point? <laughs> Probably Grandpa's not. Grandpa's tired. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of tired grandpas yeah. in the Senate right now. Um, did you see um, Trump's response to all of this? He's, you know, while all of this impeachment is happening, uh, the, the impeachment process is happening here in the United States. Trump is in Davos, uh, I think in Switzerland, halfway around the world. And uh, his response to the first day is that, you know, he's pretty comfortable actually with all of this because, as he said, uh, they don't have any of the documents. We have the documents. And so I don't think that they're <laughs> going to get much out of this. So, you know, if that was said again in an email in a back room, if this was behind you know, closed doors and Trump was admitting that he would be uncomfortable if the materials that they were withholding were on the uh, the Senate floor right now um, – There'd be picketing in the streets. There would be, you know, there would be pitchforks out and, and torches. But because he's saying the quiet part out loud, this is just another revelation that is going to roll over everybody's bags. All right. Well, we are discussing all of this in the break between the past midnight rules wrangling and uh, Justice John Roberts' admonishment of the <laughs> lawyers and the managers for their lack of decorum in the Senate. Between all of that. And the beginning of the house manager's case in uh, the afternoon of Wednesday, the 22nd. So we will have a lot more to talk about after the Democrats uh, present their case and the Republicans begin presenting their case next week. Next, we're going to talk about why no one likes Bernie Sanders. So, Rich, mm-hmm. you are our Bernie fan. Yeah. If I, I think. I mean, yeah, if I've yeah. been listening carefully. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't made it a secret. I feel like I woke you up from one of those senatorial naps just now. <laughs> I'm just over here trying to stay awake with a Reese's peanut butter cup, courtesy of the Mars Bar Company in Pennsylvania. And a glass of milk. Yeah, great 
contributors to my Senate campaign. So uh, <laughs> this will wake you up a little further. Uh huh. Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Is your blood pressure rising? Uh, yeah. Hillary yeah. Clinton uh-huh. said that nobody likes Bernie Sanders. Yeah. She said even more than that, actually. D- yeah, she did. She went on. Yeah, for a minute. <laughs> or two. Yeah. <laughs> In a documentary on Hulu about her the 2016 race. Yeah. She yeah. said he was in Congress for years. That's right. He had one senator support him. Uh-huh. Nobody likes him. Yeah. Nobody wants to work with him. He got nothing done. Yeah. So well, this... well, do you want to stop there, or do you want to keep going to the part where she said that she wouldn't back him if, uh, or she wouldn't say whether or not she, she would wouldn't back him. commit to backing him? Yeah. Let's let's get that out there because I think that's the stairway that you're going to walk to uh, <laughs> to a view on hypocrisy. It's it, that's yeah. It's it's obvious. It's overblown. And 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 afterwards, uh, she said that she would. You know, in a tweet eight hours later, she said, "Of course, she would do whatever she can uh, to to protect the nominee." And you know, it's 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 no city council member from uh, Seattle saying that she's not sure how she'll uh, uh, <laughs> uh, decide on the in the twenty twenty elections. But that was a deep cut. It, very <laughs> close it, listeners it, to Blowermouth will understand, but let's not parse it. it you know, it, it, it is a, a public figure in high standing of the Democratic Party uh, making a pretty wild claim and knowing exactly what she was doing. But yeah, on, on the first point uh, about uh, nobody liking him and uh, him not even doing anything while he was in Congress. Yeah. Bernie Sanders, if he would hear, would point out that he had got several uh, amendments tagged onto um, uh, bills during his you know long career uh, in Congress and in the Senate. He was known as the Amendment King. Uh, he even got amendments to to bills while Republicans were in control in the Senate. He passed, you know, he co-sponsored three bills that that got thro- through when. Um, Clinton was in the Senate. She only got three bills uh, sponsored, and that, that you know that got through. Um, granted, two of Bernie's bills were getting a post office named, but one of them was increasing uh, benefits uh, substantially to veterans, the, the disability benefit, benefit to veterans. That took a lot of work, um, and he did a good job. But uh, so yeah, that's it's it's false, uh, and she she knows it's false uh, about his his record and. Um, I was I was disappointed that you know she still seems so um, upset about uh, the upset 2016 about, race. Uh, uh, yeah, that's, about, that's where people went with it. Yeah, this is still uh, her lingering anger yeah. at what uh, Bernie did to her. I think that's how she views this in 2016. So I I read up on this yeah. and the kind of bill of particulars that Clinton brings up is one Bernie too late to matter gave her a kind of tepid endorsement and two and she brought this up in her interview with the hollywood reporter about all this Mm -hmm. he didn't do enough to rein in the bernie bros and so she actually has a quote about this you know she gets asked whether she's going to endorse bernie if he wins and she says (laughs) like you pointed out i'm not going to go there yet we're still in a very vigorous primary season i will say however That it's not only him, meaning not only Bernie, it's the culture around him. It's his leadership team. It's his prominent supporters. It's his online Bernie bros and their relentless attacks on lots of his competitors, particularly the women. Sure. And one thing that the Bernie bros are still 
saying is that, you know, the world is rigged against Bernie and in his defense right now against these Clinton attacks, they're saying this is just more of the corrupt system, you know, uh, evil gets thrown around, I think, coming out to squelch Bernie, they they won't let him win. It's rigged. And just to flag, because we do need to pay attention to this, because it happened in 2016, this kind of rigged uh, phrasing or uh, analogy or whatever is being trumpeted also from the right. Donald Trump. Just like Trump. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Not only that. It's not just an echo of what Trump said in his campaign. Yeah. President Trump got up like a week or so ago and said, it's a shame how the Democrats are rigging the primary against Bernie. Mm-hmm. So again, there is this yeah, like... Yeah, it's a, they're exactly the same. I mean, if we elect Bernie Sanders to be our president, it will be exactly like electing Trump to be the president. That's not what I'm saying. The, I'm the, saying there there the, is once again this overlap of rhetoric yeah. on uh, the right and the left about, you know, the system coming to rig things so Bernie can't get in. And it's being deployed, hopefully, for different aims. I think Trump sees it as, you know, a way to divide Democrats and Democrats see it as a way of riling up uh, a certain fragment of the base. But there's this convergence of interests there that that doesn't seem to be alarming very many people. Okay, well, what would you like me to respond to first? The accusation that all the people who support Bernie are Bernie bros uh, on Twitter berating women or the accusation... Or, that yeah, one. Which, let's okay, let's that, take that one. Because, okay, and, it's, well, and, well, it's, and this is, remember what Hillary Clinton said in her interview with The Hollywood sure. Reporter. And this is not new, by the way. People have been upset about the Bernie it, it's bros been a, it's been a It's been a narrative, right. That, uh, yet another narrative from 2016 that's being uh, put forth by... Um, Moderates, Democratic moderates, were scared to death that Bernie Sanders might actually be the Democratic nominee. And I mean, it's just demonstrably false. And if you look at the polls of who support Bernie, Bernie has the most support of young people of color, of, and, and a majority of Bernie's support is women <laughs> who is polled. And there's been a lot of uh, uh, different kinds of Bernie supporters uh, on Twitter and newspapers saying, hey, it, you know, when. You say that the only people supporting Bernie are Bernie Bros. You know, it it's true that they you know he has a a, a core of rabid online trolls who are uh, you know horrible and 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 go around yelling at people in this kind of weird way that should be tempered and that Bernie does and has in the past you know tempered. He's, Would you even throw in that it's misogynistic? If a Bernie bro or whatever is saying some sexist shit or misogynistic shit, yes, but I don't think that the majority of Bernie supporters are misogynists, and the majority of Bernie supporters aren't men. <laughs> but what about the majority of Bernie bros, like the people who kick up, you know, the kind of online fuss on behalf of Bernie most loudly? Because that's what Clinton is saying that this core of Bernie bros is they act as a kind of uh, attack vehicle. She actually says this, I don't think we want to go down that road again where you campaign by insult and attack and maybe you try to get some distance from it. So you say, well, I'm not the Bernie bros, but you know, this is but coming. you either don't know what your campaign and supporters are doing or you're just giving them a wink and you want them to go after Kamala Harris or after Elizabeth Warren. I think that that's a pattern that people should take into account when they make their decisions. And she is saying the third part of that pattern is they attacked her. Well, that that sentence came three sentences after she literally said nobody even likes him. I mean, she was saying, <laughs> in it, like in her defense, she was talking, I think, specifically about the Senate, not about 
the world. I mean, I think it's pretty clear that a lot of people do like him as he responded. You know, he sure, has yeah. a lot of popular support. I don't think Clinton was saying he doesn't have any support among the populace. She was specifically talking about the Senate. Yeah, yeah, no, sure. And, and, and moderate Democrats in, in, in general. Well, there's another pattern of behavior that she is not acknowledging in, in that response, which is the pattern of behavior of Bernie coming out and saying, don't be insulting people. You know, we need to have a, a clean campaign. And, and that's, and, 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 and he said that multiple times. I, I don't know how many, I don't know what else to say on this, really. The thing that, that sort of strikes me about something that you mentioned a moment ago, Eli, about this sort of idea that if Bernie loses, it is because there is a conspiracy, a concerted campaign, the establishment will not let him win. And if he loses, that's what I think is going to happen is people will assume that the only reason that he lost is because the establishment won't let him win. It's this idea that there are forces beyond our control. And maybe that's true. But I just haven't seen any sort of data to back that up in terms of this particular race. I mean, is he not getting the support of of the the Democratic Party? Uh, Well, no one is at the moment because they're in this primary. But he's been standing center stage at debate after debate for a long time. And those debates are partly organized by the democratic machine you could call it but i do i do think in and you can see it maybe most clearly this way everyone was so worried at, during the 2016 election when everyone assumed trump would lose that his language of this is rigged this is phony you know in, in advance of the election set up this natural moment of backlash should he lose where he would say you know the results are illegitimate or even if he didn't his supporters would say, well, this was all rigged from the beginning and they would get even more disenchanted with the system and then maybe they would rail against it or whatever. And that the same thing can happen on the left mm. where if you're primed to think that the system is already rigged against your guy when he doesn't lose, why would you participate in such a rigged system? This is coming – Or sorry, when he doesn't win – why would you participate in such a rigged system? This is coming in the context of Hillary Clinton literally not committing to whether or not she would support Bernie Sanders if he was the nominee. I mean, I think what this moment shows us is that there are even moderates or centrists who would sit out this vote if Bernie Sanders, the candidate that they didn't like, was was picked as the nominee. So oh, I, I don't that, think this that... is a fundamental problem of you know of this of a of a oversized, overblown, uh, politically useful for moderates uh, section of Bernie supporters who, you know, are fed up with the system and and see in the media Bernie getting looked over and not treated fairly. I mean, when he does well in the polls, they don't even mention him in the headline in the New York Times. I mean, there's, there's 15,000, you know, the Bernie blackout is real. And now at this point in the um, campaign, he's getting the scrutiny that some people think that he hasn't gotten yet. And he seems to be doing pretty well considering we'll see in the iowa polls but you know he seems to be holding up and i didn't see a lot of love for hillary clinton's uh you know uh trashing of uh the democratic front runner in many polls right now so i mean what you just said i think is is totally right going back to what you said a second ago if there will be some moderates who will not vote for bernie sanders if he is the nominee that is my fear Mm -hmm. you know there's also going to be you know some radicals who won't vote for joe biden if he's the nominee i mean it's just it's a basic fucking math problem and the problem is we don't know we don't know which way the math is going to fall because it's going to come down to these six states or whatever which yeah, which is why it's such a problem for someone with the stature of Hillary Clinton to put out, to say, yeah. to make it okay, to say that, well, I'm not sure if I would, you know, no, commit to voting for uh, for Bernie Sanders. Well, what she we had a good and what, clap back to this in a tweet this morning 
So you were talking about the double binds that Bernie is in. She gets, uh, you know, in a very good way to a double bind that she's in always. Yeah. She says in response to all this fur and response to people making all the points that you're making, I thought everyone wanted my authentic unvarnished views because everyone said that Hillary was Before too, too robotic and too, you know, withholding and hidden. And then she says, but to be serious, the number one priority for our country and world is retiring Trump. And as I always have, I will do whatever I can to support our nominee. Of course, I, I brought so. that up five minutes ago when we started the, the, the podcast or whenever we started the segment. I, my point is, is that she knew she was going to say that when she was saying the thing that she was the when she was saying she wouldn't commit to him she, knew she that rigged she, this whole media moment in advance she i don't believe that hillary clinton is like yeah didn't know that she was she was doing that i think that it's a, a pretty good uh time if you're uh, uh, a moderate and you really are worried about uh, the left wing taking over the Democratic Party and actually getting something done uh, in Congress or actually doing what a lot of people like to um, try to pump the brakes and attack uh, the, the leader of that movement a week or two before Iowa. I but think it's I a will... smart and you know, a shrewd strategy on her first. I think it backfired because I don't think a lot of people yeah, I think that if you lead with nobody even likes him and it's Hillary Clinton who <laughs> true won the popular vote but is not president, I think that the general response is <laughs> yeah, Okay, yeah, but let's let's also note just uh to say and then to also segue to something else I want to address quickly sure. that what Hillary Clinton is doing here is not trying to tear down Bernie and like steer people toward Michael Bloomberg. She when you read closely what she's saying she's trying to steer people toward elizabeth warren i think what she's trying to do is steer people towards her television show uh, well, i mean not yeah, to be that be about this, this is the most <laughs> inflammatory thing she could possibly say and of, of course it immediately becomes a story the media is we're talking about twitter talking about this is the fucking thing that everybody's talking about instead of everything else that actually matters i mean but she is comparing herself to warren and right. saying warren is now a victim of the bernie broism right. that she faced and it, you just you know the the way that hillary i don't know in my view anyway Given the way that Hillary Clinton tends to speak and operate, this reads to me like Hillary is actually on Team Warren. Yeah, I would which think I so. wanted to this say. Erasure. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, don't, well, don't forget about there's also Amy. Don't forget about Amy. Yeah, come on. I wanted to bring that up because the New York Times recently could not get itself to firmly stand behind Warren. It double endorsed. Elizabeth Warren, and as Blabbermouth said last week, no chance Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, she's still in the race, it turns out. We're running out of time on this segment, but quickly, Katie, what did you make of this? Not to be cynical again, but I think this all... So the New York Times rolled out their endorsement in this sort of epic media storm. They had endless articles about it. They said this was going to be the most transparent endorsement process ever. They had a television show. They had podcasts. I mean, dozens of articles about this. Published all the transcripts with all of their, all of the candidates they interviewed. And the cynic in me also says this is all about, you know, sort of creating content and milking this race for every fucking, like, media cent that it's worth. But yes, the result of their endorsement process was incredibly bizarre. Not just that they're two people, but that Amy Klobuchar is one of them. I mean, someone <laughs> with no fucking chance of winning. They might as well have chosen Tulsi or Yang or Marianne Williamson for that case. It's crazy, crazy. But what I what I think probably happened is that they just couldn't decide. I mean, you know, it's we've all been in these endorsement meetings. They're incredibly contentious. 
Literally, we yeah. have been in endorsement meetings here at The Stranger where, you know, sorry, Rich, to drag us back to 2016 again. <laughs> but uh, just to say briefly, in 2016, in the Democratic primary race in Washington state, when it came time for Washington to vote in the primary fight, The Stranger Election Control Board, that's our endorsement team, double endorsed. We couldn't decide between Hillary and Bernie, but not even that will surprise no even, one who listens to us talk every week. But, but not even double endorsed. Did two different two different issues of the paper. So if you picked up one, there was Bernie, and if you picked up the other, there was Hillary. And if you went to the website, you were asked to enter your age. <laughs> right. I mean, it was it was kind of it, a, it was an attempted up. meta comment on. Right. The divisions within the Democratic Party at that point, which the stranger can do, the New York Times cannot. No, you have to endorse, and and what SECB has done in every case except for that one uh, was uh, put ourselves in the position of the voters. Mm-hmm. Voters have a choice, right? If you're <laughs> so, they have to choose one person, and so if you're going to endorse that in your newspaper, you have to choose one person. And what the New York Times chose to do was. Uh, lay out the argument between moderates and progressives in the Democratic Party and say, yes, this is an argument that is happening and we endorse this argument happening, which, you know, as has been pointed out before, is not the argument that is going on in voters' minds. Like I've mentioned on this podcast maybe four or 5,000 times, Biden voters' second choice is Bernie. Bernie voters' second choice is Warren and Biden. The country does not split along the ideological lines or does not seem as driven by ideology as New York Times columnists think it is. Well, it's that's because we don't vote on policy. We based on, on who we like yeah. and who we think can win, which is a terrible reality, but that's also just how it is. Yeah. And one person at New York Times uh, ended up making this decision, right? It was the deputy editor of the editorial. Time. So they, they, they had this like um, big charade, this reality show. If you want to talk about Trump-like uh, uh, comparisons, they made a little reality show of their endorsement process, and it was all bullshit because at the end of the day, the deputy editor of the uh, New York Times opinion page got to decide. Is that true? They don't vote? They didn't vote. They were, they had the the other uh, columnists on there because they were experts and they could ask expert questions of the candidates and that could inform the decision of the one person who was going to write this fucking endorsement. All right. So it was, <laughs> to return to a theme, rigged from the start. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next, we are going to talk about cheerleaders. Rich, you're still here. That's <laughs> <laughs> Much to the chagrin of Eli Sanders, our very own host. And Jasmine, hello. Hi. Let's talk about some people who behave with much more decorum and respect than our politicians, high school cheerleaders. Yeah, I mean, the best show happening on the planet Earth right now is on Netflix. It's called Cheer. Uh, it's about a junior college cheerleading team that happens to be the best one in the nation. People from all over the country come to this little college in far off Texas. Mm-hmm. I can't remember where it's an hour outside of, but it's an hour outside. I think of Dallas. Some, yeah, Dallas. It's a very small town, and they do one thing. They go there to work for a cheerleading coach named Monica, who is a beast who has won many national championships. And um, they put their bodies on the line and uh, in an incredible feat of athleticism, mental determination, and 
uh, being able to overcome uh, incredibly intense personal circumstances. They compete for one two-minute and 30-second uh, spot on the championship uh, in the championship tournament located in Daytona Beach, Florida. <laughs> Naturally. So these, these people are aiming every ounce of their determination, intelligence, and athleticism literally for just a two-and-a-half-minute moment that they can't redo in Daytona Beach. <laughs> America, America. Someone was uh, suggesting during the break that that kind of uh, nobody likes him sort of language that we were talking about before is a little bit high school and the kind of high school people that you don't like. And I think in my mind of the like cool kids on the cheer squad when I think of that, I, I have that sort of reflexive like uh the cheerleaders but you sound like kind of shook by the like <laughs> solidarity the, yeah. uh, and, d- and the amazing athleticism like you've got this new deep respect for high school cheerleaders absolutely i mean like listen these are 18 year old people there's there's going to be drama there's going to be tiffs but you know what at the end of the day it's all about daytona it's all about hitting <laughs> your mark it's all about getting on mat and the best one wins and everyone understands that and everyone has a role Everyone has to, even if you're off the mat, even if you're not building that pyramid, you have to support your teammates. And that's the kind of solidarity that I would expect from Democrats hoping to defeat some <laughs> other Florida resident ah. who is looking for the, you know, to, to win the nomination. Jasmine, you watched an episode of yeah, this. Yeah, I watched the, the first episode. And I think something that really came through to me was listening to these teens talk about how cheerleading saved their life. You know, and hearing about the circumstances that people came from and then them throwing themselves and them, their bodies into this intensely physical sport. It's, it's really incredible to, to watch them do their craft. Uh, and I think you really get a sense of also how dangerous it really is for them to be doing this stuff constantly. And like they do it all day, every day. Yeah. No, normally, you're think you're worried about the football players, you know, getting concussions on the on the field while the cheerleading team sort of dances nicely. These cheerleaders are getting concussions nine times in the course of three months. They're like bruised, getting thrown up in the air and caught in arm baskets with bruised ribs. That everything is wrapped up. They've got. It's just. Also, that they can be trotted out and objectified for you know a couple minutes during a timeout or during halftime. Yeah. Like I, I just I'm a little like disoriented because usually we talk you know in I don't know Stranger Land I think about the cheer culture as this pipeline producing you know uh, people who feed the worst uh, impulses in our culture. Yeah, like wow. Every- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really, it's like the blonde to objectification pipeline. But, right? I mean, that's like- a bit of like a stereotype, though, wouldn't you say? Well, that's what I'm hearing. Like, <laughs> I need to watch Cheer, apparently. Well, like, and and that's what I, I don't know. Maybe is that sort of beneath some of the strength of the reaction to the series that it it counters the narrative about cheerleaders i guess i yeah yeah maybe i mean it definitely if you're going into this thinking that cheerleaders are just kind of like doing um you know some nice fun organized dancing on the sidelines and that this is just a glorification of that yeah this documentary shows that like every other facet of american life uh, a kind of combination of uh, corporatism 
and uh, extreme insane competition has mixed together to like accelerate the intensity of, of the sport and how much it, it is on the line so that like they're performing numbers and routines that have never been performed by 20 humans at the same time before. It's like a mix of tumbling and uh, gymnastics and... Uh, Circus, yeah, sir. Yes, yes, circus. Uh, yeah, all all at the same time. They're doing weird contortions. I mean, they're throwing. They're making three tier pyramids with a fourth, like ninety eight pound uh, woman up on on top that then has to like tumble backwards a couple. Like it is, yeah, different than the, than than the whatever kind of like uh, uh, anodyne version of cheer you have in your mind. It's really impressive. And there's one cheerleading corporation basically that you know runs the show varsity and uh seeing the interplay uh, how much they control uh the cheerleading world uh is fascinating too but it's kind of a side issue and it's also set in texas uh and there is a scene where you know there are people from all over and they're having to encounter this like conservative really small town texan values and like they have to take a class on texan history and also American history, you know? Uh, and so they're like learning, you know, in Texas, you know, we eat, we have Tex-Mex, which is better than Mexican food, <laughs> you know? And like, we believe we're pro-life. Like we're all, the, and then all the students are sitting in this class kind of like, you know, not used to this type of culture, um, the small town culture. Yeah, and, and we believe in, you know, that marriage, traditional values that marriage is between a man and a woman. And of course, almost every man on the cheer squad is gay as hell. And so... <laughs> Right, <laughs> and so seeing how you know the world of cheer interacts with the small town Texas world is well. Also, do our heroes stand up for the gay cheerleaders? I mean, every character is is complex. Uh, Monica, um, uh, who is you know professes to be a conservative, I don't want to do any you know spoilers, but it's like I will fight and die for my gay cheer you know like like, like she will you, uh, go to the mat if you'll excuse the phrase <laughs> to protect uh her uh athletes uh against uh you know discrimination uh, but institutionally and culturally um within the small town that is not a view that's shared by some of the people uh in uh in the town and the reason why i say monica was complex is she is also just breaking the bodies of these 40 people and exploiting the holy shit out of these like poor kids who like each one has their own path and they're just looking for validation because they have been told that their lives are meaningless and that their lives mean nothing. I mean, some people have, you know, had been foster care parents. Some people, parents have died. Some people didn't have it good. Other people in cheer come from suburban uh, households and, you know, have a bunch of money in their pay. But, you know, for those kids, you know, on their pathway to earn this validation, they're having to sacrifice so much of their personal health and well-being, you know, in order to achieve this. Also, Monica can put another, you know, state championship on the uh, <laughs> flyer in the in the gymnasium. I mean, however, she is also running this show that, like, gives these people the validation that they're looking for and is, you know, it can be incredibly um, a powerful experience in their lives. All right. Cheer is on Netflix. Jasmine, you are watching another uh, binge worthy. It sounds like series. Okay. I'm going to keep this short yes. only because I have the capacity to talk about this for several hours. <laughs> and so I think it's just better 
to maybe keep it a little brief. But yes, I'm watching the L Word Generation Q. Uh-huh. And this comes after um, me trying to watch all six seasons in like two months uh, to catch up before this premiere. But it is a reboot of the original L Word series that was on Showtime. Did you ever watch Eli? A little bit. Yeah. I, I felt like I wasn't the target audience. No. <laughs> I, but, I can say that for, for sure. But I did watch some. Yeah. Um, it's an incredibly terrible, uh, incredibly addicting show. Um, has some horrible characters that do terrible things to each other. But it is so it's so great to watch. It's just a soap opera. <laughs> and so this Generation Q um, is tr- is queer. Uh, I assume. And um, I think they're trying to address a lot of the problems that people had with the original show, which is that it's all white people, um, that they're all really like thin. And they also, um, you know, treat trans the trans character really terribly. Um, and so this this reboot is really addressing all of those problems. There's four new characters. One of them is trans. Um, three of them are people of color. So it's... Um, and and the show has definitely gotten smarter a lot of, uh, about how like some of the politics between the characters it's still kind of trashy and that and that's kind of what i want i'm not looking for a you know a really great meditation on like what does it mean to be queer uh, from this show specifically i think that the kind of addiction or this kind of like binge-worthy quality to it is that you know, if you're a queer woman or a queer person, like you don't really see a lot of um, TV shows that really explore those relationships in depth, even now. Like Orange is the New Black is the only one that I could really think of. And like all of them are in prison and like, you know, and a lot of them are like murdered. And it's it's really terrible to watch because um, the stakes are so different. Um, and so I think that this new reboot that ha- includes some of the old characters is it's. I didn't like it at first, but I became addicted and watched. I caught up like seven episodes. All right. And this is on HBO. It's on Showtime. Showtime. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Showtime is the L word generation Q. And you might have heard a thing or two about a show called Cheer. And that's on Netflix. Rich, thank you. Thanks, Eli. Jasmine, thank you. Thanks. And that's the show. If you've got something you want to say to Rich, Jasmine, Katie, or me, call the Blabberphone, 206-302-2063, or dive out into our Blabbermouth Podcast Facebook group. Thanks, as always, to Ahamefile J. Aluo for making the music we use on the show each week, and to Nancy Hartunian for bringing our blabbering mouths to your ears.